This is Carte Blanche, the podcast. One story every day that matters. Delve into the issues that impact you. Whether you're in need of a better understanding of the world around you or simply seeking inspiration or unique perspectives, you'll find it all here. It's said that hindsight is always 2020, and that's certainly the case when it comes to our initial approach to the COVID-19 crisis back in 2020. Based on ever-growing scientific knowledge at the time, experts had to tread carefully when it came to policy implementation and advice. But some parents and experts say some of the policies enforced at various private hospitals did more harm than good. Masa Kikana investigated how preventing parents from physically touching their preterm babies in neonatal ICUs at the height of the pandemic led to unbearable trauma and the potential for long-term implications. After three years, we're emerging from a pandemic trying to make sense of the global response to a virus we now know a lot more about. Were the regulations governing our lives necessary or, with hindsight, were some too extreme? We mustn't underestimate how difficult these decisions were because we were in a situation of the unknown. The fear factor was very high about COVID transmission. To protect patients and staff from infection, hospitals in many parts of the world either close their doors to visitors or enforce strict admission rules. At many of our private neonatal intensive care units, babies were separated from their parents at birth, robbing them of early attachment with possible serious long-term effects. Professor Haroon Saluji, head of community pediatrics at Wits University, was active in the COVID protocols debates. The guidance is clear. Newborns should have 24-hour access. So there's no doubt about it that the deficit for mothers not being present during COVID will have consequences for the children. Larissa and Marlon Skultz were told their first child, who they'd named Hayden, would be three months premature. He was born in mid-June last year, weighing just 500 grams and was immediately admitted to the Neonatal Intensive Care Unit, or NICU, at Joburg's Nedcare Park Lane. So we obviously knew that he was going to be low birth weight in a micro prim and that it wasn't going to be an easy road. What they didn't know is how limited their access would be to their son. In July, as COVID numbers soared during the third wave, the Netcare Hospital Group limited visitation to the NICU to one parent per day for no longer than two to three hours. The protocols and the regulations imposed by the hospital itself prevented both parents from seeing your child. So we got one visit when we were still in the hospital to go together. And the last time we stood together was when he was passed. Before Hayden died, Larissa and Marlon went through daily COVID screenings and had to wear gloves, masks, visors and aprons before being allowed into the NICU to see him. We never got to touch him with our skin. And with all those protocols in place, Hayden contracted COVID-19 anyway. Did they tell you how? No one wanted to tell us who it was. And they insinuated that it could have been us and asked us to go get tested. And when we got tested, we found out that we were negative. But they already had their suspicions who it could have been from within. 
the surgeon called to say you that need to test the babies you need to test the babies with. that I was working with. They knew it was him. Ned K says medical information of a third party is privileged, and so they couldn't inform the parents about the likely source of the infection. Hayden was placed in isolation days before major bowel surgery, and despite his doctor requesting that the parents be allowed to see him, the hospital declined. We practically begged, and they said no, but his doctor video called us before they gave him anesthetic. And we saw him on a video call. In their response to us, Netcare reiterated that baby Hayden had tested positive for COVID-19 and both the parents and the baby were required to isolate. After three rounds of fertility treatment, Marissa Terreblanche, who was hearing impaired, fell pregnant with Miracle Twins. Due to complications, they were delivered in early May last year at just 26 weeks. The babies were immediately admitted to the NICU at Joburg's Mediclinic Midstream. It was my first experience with a NICU. Everybody's working slowly and speaking softly and it was very peaceful and calm. After two weeks, Marissa's son Caden needed heart surgery, so was transferred to the NICU at NETK Sunninghill. I remember I was really shocked. It was very, very loud. It was always very uncomfortable being there. I don't think they know how, how to be compassionate. Not only were the environments at the two private NICUs different, they had completely different COVID rules and regulations. At Midstream Medical Clinic, you were allowed at all times. I was there the whole day, but I was allowed to, you know, come and go as a place. At Sunninghill, we only allowed one parent at a time uh, for one hour. This lack of consistency was evident in both state and private NICUs, which begs the question, how much of the response was based on science? The South African Pediatric Association tried to promote the idea that caregivers should have more access. But in the end, the decision is left to individual clinics or individual hospitals. So there were no guidelines set for all hospitals? On this specific issue, that kind of guidance didn't come through from the National Department of Health because it was such a difficult decision and a lot of it is context dependent. Devastated at being separated from their babies, over 400 parents signed an open letter last year questioning the science behind the COVID regulations applied at the NICUs at all private hospital groups. They argued for more access. It's not something that any parent should have to go through. Dr. Edda Duplessis-Fowry worked as a neonatal nurse for over 20 years. She's now a consultant. The neonatal ICU is supposed to provide an environment that mimics the womb. Then the baby can self-regulate. He doesn't go into a stress mode. Remember when a baby is in a stress mode, the blood supply will go to the brain, the heart and the lungs, and there's a shortage of blood supply in the intestines, in the kidneys and everywhere else. And that can cause long-term effects for the baby. I remember when I went to stroke, he says it's not leading me line. They always hide behind the excuse it's not good for a baby, but we both know they need touch. At Netcare Sunninghill, Marissa wasn't allowed to touch Caden at all. According to the Netcare group, this was due to the COVID restrictions, as well as his critical condition. 
At MediClinic Midstream, though, nurses insisted she hold her daughter daily, even though she was also critical and would eventually pass away. Almost every day, I sit with her. They were always very willing, even um, she had all the pups and everything. Midstream didn't care about the pups. They always were willing to, pups and all, they moved their machines closer to you. How important is touch for babies? Oh, absolutely critical. What is now being globally accepted is something called skin-to-skin care. It's a concept now over 30 years, and the whole idea is that for these very small babies, the ideal way to manage them is sooner after they're born, you put them onto the mother's chest and you, and you do that for the full 24 hours. The benefits of skin-to-skin or kangaroo maternal care for even just an hour a day are profound. Studies say it reduces infant deaths by as much as 40%, hypothermia by 70%, and severe infection by 65%. There's been comparisons of babies who've had this exposure to mums and and, and babies who haven't. And there's so many domains that, that, that the improvement happens. So reducing stress, all these physiological variables such as heart rate and the spite rate immediately go down. And if you can control that, there's a better chance that you'll get babies out of ICU earlier. And again, there's lots of studies that show that mothers who talk to their babies, touch their babies. That kind of sensory stimulation is vital for babies initially for reassurance that I'm a human being, they recognize their mothers. But subsequently, there's enough evidence that in an environment where a baby has been in an ICU, has been touched, has been spoken to, those babies' outcome longer term, we're talking about two, three, even going to school going age, are much better than when they haven't had that kind of interaction. In their response to us, Nedke explained kangaroo care as a therapeutic regime used in under-resourced environments. Historically, Nedke did offer a modified version of KMC in the NICU, but it was temporarily discontinued during the pandemic. Public hospitals have embraced the concept. My disappointment is that the private clinics haven't embraced it in the same way. And there's no reason to believe that kangaroo mother care is for poor or uneducated or backward mothers. That perception is absolutely wrong. Some NICUs, like the one at Sibukeng Hospital near Vereniging, never close their doors. They consider parents primary caregivers rather than visitors. The hospital's 24-hour KMC unit was also fully operational throughout COVID. Here at the neonatal intensive care unit at Sibukeng Hospital, it's both heartbreaking and incredible to see mothers being able to care for their critically ill babies because the parents we spoke to were denied this. In March last year, months prior to any of these babies being admitted to the NICU, the World Health Organization published a study advising hospitals to keep mother and child together, encouraging skin-on-skin care during the pandemic. Parents understood the need for the regulations around COVID-19, especially when it was new and there was extreme panic. But as the different waves progressed and we learned more, more and more studies found that the benefits of KMC far outweigh the health risks of COVID-19. Yet these policies didn't keep up. My summary would be that we perhaps prevailed for too long with policies that were initially established and we should be much quicker in increasing access to these young infants to their parents. Hayden survived his surgery and on day five of his quarantine, the hospital finally agreed to allow his parents to see him. 
We got a call from management to say that they've arranged they've for five arranged minutes. For five minutes for us to see him. When we got there, it was still again full PPE, and he was in an isolation unit at the time. So the nurse actually held him up where we looked at him through a window. So the plan was for the nurse to hold Hayden and for you to look at him while he's being held up. Yes. With such limited access, parents could not be a part of the day-to-day management of their babies, having instead to trust the nursing staff. Arriving at Netcare Sunning Hill in late June last year, Marissa was horrified to find her 1.7 kilogram son's hands placed inside his nappy and taped to his body. I asked the nurse, what is happening here? And she didn't answer me. She just called another nurse. According to Nedcare, Caden was mildly sedated and then restrained so that his treating doctor could insert a central line. The treating doctor was clear. This is standard protocol because of the danger of an infant moving during the procedure. I've never in my life have I seen this. Not once in my life. And I've qualified in 1994. It's appalling. Nedke explained that Caden was still restrained as staff were waiting for an X-ray confirming the correct placement of the central line. Marissa recalls Caden being alert when the nurse finally removed the tape. I remember him screaming and screaming and I, I just wanted to pick him up, but I'm not allowed. After Hayden's 10-day isolation, Larissa was allowed to see her son, but his health had radically deteriorated. The nurses even said, you know what, um, all you can do at this point is pray. On the day that Hayden died, Nedke allowed both parents into the unit and suggested they try and hold their son. He was really, really sick. We just didn't want him to be disturbed. We only touched his hands when he actually passed away. So you never got to feel his flesh and blood? No, it was cold. Ned K says Hayden wasn't medically stable enough to be held or touched prior to the day he died. But they did say, looking at events now with the benefit of hindsight, we feel that greater parental access could have been possible. I don't think it's acceptable. I could never argue that the risk of infection or infecting everybody else was so high that that situation could not be controlled. That's just inhumane. Hayden lived for 43 days. He never got to touch or smell his mother. Beyond the constant medical procedures, he had no meaningful physical contact with another human being. You know, at the end of the day, I gave birth physically to Hayden. I have a scar to prove that he's ours, but he really truly wasn't ours. Five days after finding him restrained, Marissa had Caden returned to MediClinic Midstream, and a few weeks later, he was discharged. He's now over a year old. It's a bitter pill to swallow, but it's almost a given that more difficult lessons will be learned in the months and years to come. What could we have done differently with regard to our COVID-19 approach? What harm has been done? 
But perhaps most importantly, what can we do differently should, heaven forbid, another pandemic come crashing into our lives? Thanks for joining yet another episode of Carte Blanche, the podcast. Keep the conversation going online. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Don't forget to rate and review us. Your feedback is always appreciated. And subscribe to our podcast to ensure you don't miss a single episode. 